0: Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us for another installation of the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions. My name is Matt Pajak, co-founder of Loden Sports. Before we get started, a quick plug on what Loden Sports is. We are the Affordable Human Performance Data Provider. We use non-exclusive, objective athletic evaluations for the purposes of benchmarking athletic development, informing athlete health, and identifying outliers. Our evaluations are non-sport, gender, skill level, or age specific. There for anyone and everyone, just like these outlier sessions. We pride ourselves on our experience and professionalism in executing evaluations and teaching others how to routinely evaluate. But most importantly, we pride ourselves on making historically difficult to understand performance data palatable for coaches, athletes, and parents. If you're interested in learning more or getting in touch, visit our website at www.loadinsports.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Loden Sports, and read our blog, which is also available through our website. I also want to throw a shout out to our friends at Yellow Box Macaroons, the first unofficial sponsor of the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions. If you're a fan of sweet treats, their hand curated coconut macaroons are a must. Continuing on the tradition of Jackie Weiss, Yellow Box Macaroons is the most delicious box of macaroons in the world. If you don't like coconut or macaroons, that's on you. Find your next box on www.yellowboxmacaroons.com or on Instagram at yellowboxmacaroons. The Outlier sessions have been created as a way to bridge the gap and create a connection between the aspiring and the achieving. All of our guests have a niche at the highest levels of sport and are an outlier in their own right. We want to take some time to talk about long-term athlete development with them in the context of their experiences. We want to talk about their journeys, their processes for taking care of themselves, and get to know a little bit more about their personal interests as well. Now sit back and relax and enjoy another outlier session. Unless you're driving. In which case, keep both hands on the steering wheel and your eyes on the road. All right, let's get into it. Our guest for this session has been a friend for years and has his own gym in Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to introduce our first strength coach on the show, the owner of Wright Fitness Systems, Josh Wright. Thanks for hopping on with us.
1: It's a pleasure to be here always good to speak with you man
0: love it Uh, do you want to start off by giving a little background on yourself kind of where you're from where you went to school all that good stuff
1: yes Um, originally I'm from Seattle Washington Um, and then right before eighth grade uh, moved to a little suburb of Sacramento called Rockland Um, where I went to Delaro high school, um, in Loomis, California. Um, and then, uh, accepted a full baseball scholarship to the university of San Francisco, um, where I pitched, um, for two years up there, um, before severing my ulnar nerve, um, in my throwing arm. So um, went to went to college up there. Um, moved down to Costa Mesa, California, uh, when my wife got into grad school at USC, and have never thought about this paradise since. <laughs> nice. So yeah, it's just West Coast through and through. I am west coast through and through. I just we went kind of from uh, you know big big uh, big crazy city when I was a kid um, which I actually didn't enjoy when I was a kid but I'm thankful for that now um, because Southern California is so different um, just you know learning how to learning how to take a bus um, and use public transportation to get myself to you know, practice or the mall or to a buddy's house, um, um, you know, now with Uber and everything else, like you kind of take, take that life skill for granted. Um, kind of like how kids don't know how to like fill out checks anymore. Cause you can just, you know, tap your, tap your phone to somebody else's phone and send them money and stuff. Um, you know, but I feel like growing up in Seattle kind of, um, you know, instilled a little, little toughness. Um, you know, which, which made, made me happy. Um, so I can instill that stuff in my kids just so they can figure out, um, you know, figure out their own way, not rely on everybody else to do everything for them. Like if they need to get somewhere, then, you know, they have multiple ways and resources to, to get to what they need instead of always having to rely on mommy and daddy for everything.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like navigation is going to be such a lost skill. I mean, it already is, but just like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, every, I mean, every, every kid just so on autopilot, you know, where, I mean, we're, we're all on autopilot as it is. It's like, oh, if there's somewhere that I've never been that I got to get to, it's just punch it into the GPS, you know?
1: It's like, yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, it if, didn't
0: used to be that way.
1: No, it didn't. Like, it used to, you know, like you literally had to, like, describe to somebody like hey the third oak tree on the left is you know (laughs) where you need where you need to turn you know like that used to be it um i mean thankfully it's not you know completely that way anymore because i'm not like the greatest with directions so i do rely on you know (laughs) um siri to help me get places um but at the same time like you know it's you got to be able to read a map and you know use a use a compass and you know just some some basic life things um you know just to have that in your back pocket um just in case the the phone's not charged and it dies on you you gotta you gotta be able to 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 find your way somewhere else
0: so born born in seattle came from the big rain now now lives in the big sun it
1: a lot of rain well. yeah yeah <laughs> big, big, lot, big, lot, big, 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 lot, big <laughs> lot of rain um was actually just up in seattle uh a couple of weeks ago um working with some athletes that i have up there um and stepped off the plane and flip-flops and there was snow on the ground still and um definitely kind of miscalculated um the uh my comfort zone. Um, you know, I live in board shorts and flip-flops most of the day. Um, you know, while I'm out here. So I, my, uh, travel attire is lacking. So I'm going to have to upgrade my game uh, a little bit when I go back up there, but, um, love, love the city. Um, it's a beautiful, you know, springtime there, early fall. It's there's really not a lot a lot of better places to be um even over southern california like it's 70 and pretty clear here all year long um so you kind of take it for granted sometimes but um you know seattle seattle in the summer when you have 20 hours of sunlight and it's 80 degrees and there's no wind and you know you have all the lakes and hiking and trails and You know, you have the big city life if you want that. Like, you got a lot at your disposal, so um, it's a it's a hidden gem that doesn't get the love that it deserves because it's tucked away up there. Um, But it's beautiful up there.
0: Yeah, I've been up there a couple times in the summer, and to your point, like it when you visit only in the summer, you wonder why people you know talk badly about Seattle (laughs) and the weather up there (laughs) because. It's like wow, everything's so lush, everything's so green, everything's so blue, the sun's out, you know, it's it's warm, all those different things, but then it's only like that because for ten months out of the year it's raining. So um Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah it's kind of like like you, you just kind of chronically have like a like a drippy nose while you're up there. Like it's always it's always a little cold, and, you know. It goes from always a little cold to really nice to then it's just extremely cold. Um, and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of happy medium, um, with, with the sun, the sun and, you know, nice weather days. And then randomly it rains, like it's always, it's always raining or it looks like it's going to rain. Um, your, so your bar is really low. Um, as far as what you're going to have to wear that day, you know, it's going to be something with sleeves and probably a beanie and <laughs> yeah it's no it's definitely uh yeah people people were definitely laughing at me um when i got off the plane and then you know I'm going to catch an uber and there's some stepping in through snow um and little patches of ice and stuff on the on the ground um with my nice you know nike flip-flops on so oh well lesson learned
0: all right, uh, enough about Seattle. Um, <laughs> right, let's, let's start off with a handful of our signature LTAD-related questions. Um, I'm sure these are ones that you've heard before, as we deal with pretty much all our guests, but um, talking about emotional well-being and ignition. So our LTAD will be an inclusive, holistic, and philosophical reference guide for developing athletes of all sports and levels of aspiration. In our eyes, everyone is an athlete. So let's start with emotional well-being and the importance of gratefulness. There are little things we can do every day to bolster our emotional well-being. It's like a muscle, needs to be trained. This is something that everyone can do every day. Josh, what are three things you are grateful for today?
1: First thing I'm grateful for is that the sun's out. <laughs> um, that I I can wear flip-flops today and not step in any snow like I did in Seattle. Um, I haven't emotionally recovered from that uh, that hit to the psyche when I when I got off a plane. So the weather out here, I'm very, I'm extremely grateful for that. Secondly, I'm extremely grateful for my wife my three children um, because they are the ones that get me out of bed every morning at five o'clock when it's dark um, and I just want to hit snooze and go back to sleep. I will roll over and I will see my wife and sometimes I will see my two-year-old randomly tucked in, tucked in the corner of the bed. Um, and you know, my, uh, my eight and my six-year-old, um, you know, across the hall, um, you know, I do this to make sure that they have the life that they deserve. Um, and then thirdly, um, I am extremely grateful that I have the relationships with my athletes that I do. Um, You know, training is great and, you know, seeing them on TV and, you know, whatever. I mean, that's cool, but it's more rewarding when you get to go to their weddings and when, you know, if they're... If they're having something, you know, in life that's, that's bothering them or they're trying to navigate through and they call you and, you know, want to, want to talk through it and stuff. And, you know, knowing that, you know, we have that trust and it's not, it's not a work paycheck relationship, you know, um, it's, it's long lasting. Um, that is, that is something that on an hourly basis, almost, um, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for it.
0: Dang, Josh crushed it, <laughs> covered a lot of ground there on three things.
1: I I do that. Uh, I'll,
0: I'll hit you with uh, my three real quick and then we'll keep it moving. But uh, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm going to go with something that's very relevant to today. And uh, hopefully maybe we can get back to these days uh, one day sooner rather than later. But the days when gas prices weren't a concern, uh, you know, like it. <laughs> The majority of the time you're just not worried about gas prices. You're just driving around doing whatever you're doing. And, uh, now all of a sudden it's like, you better go top off your gas tank today because you don't know, it might spike another dollar or two tomorrow. And who knows if, if it'll ever come down. So, um, yeah, definitely took those days yeah. for granted, um, <laughs> being able to go on like YouTube or Google and find ways to fix like small things in your car that would cost you an arm and a leg at a shop. Um, Mm -hmm. so being able to take care of those, those little things. And then, uh, the last thing is just homemade things, you know, being able to like make things at home. Um, my fiance makes a wonderful like homemade sandwich bread that we use over the course of the week. Just, it's like little things like that. It's like the bread's delicious, but then also like, you know, there's kind of like this feeling of, uh, being like self sustainable i guess or i don't know
1: um yeah
0: but it's just like little like homemade like life skills you know
1: yeah that's again life skills right like being able to being able to depend on yourself and like the the resources that you have that are you know immediately in front of you um you know like amazon's cool Right. But if you're just on autopilot and you got to Amazon everything, I mean, like, are you like, are you really are you really mature? Are you really an adult? If you, you know, if you if you rely on, you know, uh, if you rely on Jeff Bezos to to have products show up to your door on a daily basis, like, you know, like we've all we all use it. But, you know, it's it's pretty cool to, you know, to to make something, whether it's food or you know, something, you know, with, you know, some wood and a saw or, you know, like that's, that's awesome. Instead of having to go shop for it and, you know, support somebody else instead of stimulating your own mind and doing it, you know, figuring out a way to make it happen on your own.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was an athlete that we recently recorded a podcast with Chase Watkins. And like one of the things we talked about towards the end was just like making something in reality, you know, and he Mm -hmm. literally, I was like, what do you mean by that? Like creating in, in the real world. And he's just like, I went and planted some trees in my parents' backyard that are going to bear fruit in a couple of years. And like that type of thing, it's just like really cool to be able to plant a tree, nourish it and then watch it grow up and and turn into something. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, (laughs) I don't know. It, I mean, to to your point on like food, it's like, oh, you want Mexican tonight? Yeah, let me Uber eats it. Like, no, dude, go to the grocery yeah. store. Like, get get the ingredients and and figure out how to make homemade Mexican. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, thankfully, you know, I I don't I don't cook at all. Like, I I will barbecue, but like, I am not a I am not a big. Um, I mean, I would like to be. I just currently i'm not very good at, at, at cooking my wife is fantastic um and like you know everything's really healthy you know she she'll go to she'll go to two different farmers markets for certain things like she's got a routine and a rhythm down um you know but then figures out you know like which which recipe she wants to tweak or you know if you know the kids want to try something different you know how to how to make a play on, you know, something that might not be super healthy, um, that, you know, we can, we can, um, you know, sub, you know, you know, avocado mayo for, instead of, you know, miracle whip or something like that, you know, like with it, um, you know, so I'm fortunate that I have her, but, um, you know, her resourcefulness, um, is something that I kind of envy. Um, you know, I, i was home more i feel like i'd be better at it you know but um you know i'm not like i'm resourceful in the gym um but you know resourceful cooking for my children i'm like dude like here's a piece of meat like i'm gonna go throw it on the grill because i don't have to do much to it you know it's (laughs) um it's easy to do that um and then i watch top chef and i'm like i want to make that and then i wouldn't even know where to start so, so that's um, the
0: problem with America is that there's so many options for everything. So like there's only 24 hours in the day, <laughs> you know, if you want to be right. great, you could be a great chef. You could be, a, you know, uh, you can fix your own car up. You can do this, that, whatever, but you can't be an expert in everything because there just isn't enough time.
1: So, no, no. Um, and I'm sure that we'll touch on that later on in this podcast. Um, yeah. You know, All right, with, well, let's well, let's uh, the gym.
0: <laughs> let's roll into ignition. Uh, this is always a fun one, but it's it's a key pillar to athlete development in our eyes. It's what lights the fire for the developing athlete to want to participate in sports. I think you're probably gonna have an interesting look at this because, you know, obviously you played, and now you're kind of in the position to help light that fire. Um, but who or what in your life helped drive the interest in baseball when you were younger? and then training the overhead rotational athletes when you're playing days ended kind of talk about the people involved or maybe there was a moment that triggered it kind of how it happened
1: so as a kid i played baseball basketball football um and then um, like i did uh, i did some some boxing so like i did some golden gloves boxing and stuff up in um up in seattle so i was like I mean, I was extremely active. Um, I mean, from my goodness, like you know, age five, six. You know, as far back as I can remember, I was always playing playing multiple sports all year round. Um, and I don't know if part of that was you know just my my parents. You know, were hoping that you know I would be some some future stud, or if it was you know um, I needed some discipline and um, you know I kind of look at it like it's a little bit, a little bit of both maybe. Um, but you know, playing, playing multiple sports, um, for so long, um, you know, like there's like anything, like there's certain things where, you know, like you get, you get a little burnt out, um, with some of it and stuff. So, um, I got to high school and, uh, when I moved down to California, um, played baseball, basketball, football, my freshman year. And then football went year round, um, the lifting, the seven on seven, the, you know, spring practices and stuff. Um, and so I also just kind of figured, you know, I'm, you know, a six foot kid, um, you know, playing center on my basketball team. Like my college, my college offers are probably not going to be there. Um, whereas I played quarterback, um, uh, you know, all the three years that I played um, in high school, um, I didn't play my senior year uh, because I was trying to protect my uh, scholarship and draft status in in baseball. Um, so just kind of the natural evolution of you know where I was projected to to go and to be in the sport of baseball kind of um, you know led me to put more effort and energy into baseball. Um, you know, originally like, I always had dreams that I would be playing quarterback in the NFL. Um, that was a, that was a big goal of mine. Um, and then, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I started talking to some colleges actually, um, you know, about, about football, uh, and going to some of their camps and, and, and whatnot. Um, Seattle down to Northern California, um, and um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of my passion for basketball just kind of went away a little bit um, and I wanted to focus more on football and baseball. And then honestly, man, like I was told by so many people like, hey, your future's in baseball, your future's in baseball. Um, you know, uh, I threw, I threw hard for, you know, now, you know, it, when you're, upper 80s low 90s you know in you know the year 2000 you know i graduated high school in 2001. Uh, you know people are, you know that was like throwing 100 now like there wasn't a lot of guys that were were in the 90s then um you know so i was you know 90 92 you know touched five and six a few times and stuff and you know a couple of um showcases which also weren't really a big deal back then um and then it got me a lot of a lot of attention, um, so I quit football because I was getting so much attention, and um, was fortunate enough to have some opportunities in, in baseball. Um, my senior year, um, you know, uh, that I wanted to focus on, um, and so I got a pitching coach and started started working out with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, strength conditioning coaches, um, you know, at a at a gym, um, you know, pretty pretty close to to where I lived, um, and then just put all of my efforts into that, um, and then went to college, and then I got hurt, and then what made me want to do what I'm doing now, which on the strength conditioning side and the mentorship of athletes is I got hurt and I was supposed to red shirt my entire sophomore year. And I was basically given the ultimatum that if I didn't pitch, then my scholarship was going to get taken because I had, I had a 98% scholarship. Um, so they told me you're going to pitch or we're going to take your scholarship and we're going to go get, you know, two or three other guys that can fill your spot, you know, that, um, you know, with your, with your money. And so I rushed the rehab and I rushed the throwing and I was just never right. And the fact that I had that, you know, that pressure, um, to sacrifice, you know, my health and my longevity for, you know, the, the short term, um, you know, potential that I could, you know, help the team um, for those coaches um, is, is something that I think about daily. Um, every time I talk to any of the athletes that are in here and then, you know, they want to talk to me about colleges and they talk to me about the recruiting process and they talk to me about, you know, their travel coaches and all this stuff. And, You know, some of some of the stuff I agree with and some of the stuff like, you know, quite frankly, I piss a lot of people off with because I care about the kid and I care about his window to play this game at a high level. I don't care about the plastic ring that they're going to win, you know, in a travel tournament, you know, so a coach can use that to market, you know, the program to the next crop of kids. You know, I'm not. I'm not into that. Like the athlete comes first, and that is something that you know. I wish, I, I wish my well being would have came first instead of the well being of the coaching staff that you know gave me this ultimatum when I was in college. Um, and I just, I will never waver. I'll just, I'll never waver on my priority of. Being open and honest and direct with the athlete, so he can make the best informed decision he feels that he needs for himself. So that roundabout, uh, my roundabout answer to to consolidate this is essentially: I got hurt, I was forced to, you know, forced to play, um, and you know, I don't ever want to see. Don't ever want to see that happen to anybody that steps through these doors. I don't want them feeling that they're in that position.
0: Yeah. I think that speaks to a lot of why you're on this podcast and, you know, why our relationship is the way it is over the past couple of years. Cause I think there's a lot of synergy between the way you view things and how I view things, which is just, you know, the athlete comes first. And for a lot of people that isn't always the case. And I think you're, <laughs> kind of the example of that um so i mean you know kudos to you especially in a place like southern california where they play 12 months out of the year you know at least fighting the good fight even though you're fighting against you know an entire societal belief pretty much that you know playing is more important than athlete health sometimes so um interesting um all right Last LTAD question, and then we'll get into some other yeah. things here. Let's just give a quick shout out to one of our foundational elements, which is sleep. Uh, in your opinion, how important is sleep, and has your view on sleep changed over the years?
1: As I've gotten older, um, you know, speaking for myself, um, as I've gotten older, I feel like sleep has become way more important i gave it for uh, when i was in my my 20s um uh, like in my teens i slept a lot right you're going through puberty and you're growing and um uh, you know you hear you know you hear parents always say oh well he slept till noon well i mean his body needed sleep you know until noon sometimes um uh, that luxury when you're an adult you know like you don't you don't have you, you don't get 12 hours of sleep um, so you have to prioritize your day uh, around your training and your work and, you know, your family and stuff and make sure that you leave a good, you know, seven and a half hour window is kind of what I shoot for. Um, so I attempt to kind of wind down, you know, around nine, nine 30. And if I'm asleep by 10 and up at five, like I'm good. If I fall asleep a little earlier, you know, and I get an extra 20, 30 minutes, I'm happy. Um, But I try to live in that sweet spot of the seven, seven and a half hour range. Um, For most athletes, you know, I try to tell them they need seven and a half to nine hours. um, So that way they're completing a full sleep cycle and they're not waking up in the middle of uh, in the middle of a cycle and they're groggy and, you know, they're, uh, you know, create some hormonal imbalances and stuff if you don't complete a full sleep cycle. Um, uh, but we preach here in the gym, uh, you know, seven and a half to nine hours of sleep a night. Um, and there's times where kids will come in and I can see that they were up late, you know, doing homework or maybe they had, you know, some of the, some of the private schools out here, they practice from, you know, six to nine o'clock at night. And, you know, the gym, the first session in the gym is at 6am. Um, and so for some kids like that's the easiest way and the most convenient time, um, for them to be able to come in. So I know that they're not getting that seven and a half to nine hours of sleep. Um, and they're kind of dragging and I can see it in the first, you know, five minutes of talking to them and seeing them, I'll send them back home and tell them just go back, go to sleep. Like, you're, I don't need you to check a box that you showed up today to work out. Like, I need you to give me a good, honest effort and be able to attack the movements and then be able to, you know, fail at things and then, you know, neurologically be able to rewire you to be better at that thing that you failed at within the next workout. You can't do that when you're, when you're sleep deprived. It just doesn't, it, it, it never turns out well. Um, so, you know, some people, some people, you know, uh, you know, I've had people disagree with me and say, Oh, well, you know, you know, like you shouldn't have kids up at, you know, up at 6am to come work out. Um, and you know, what's the alternative? Then they work out at eight o'clock at night, you know, after they've gone to school all day, they've you know, probably had to do some kind of lifting or conditioning at school. Um, Then they have a practice or they have a game, you know, like, I mean, they're going to be tired no matter what. I'd rather them start the day. So they're more productive in the early middle parts of the day um, and can get to bed earlier than, you know, then vice versa where they sleep, you know, they sleep an hour later, but really, I mean, they're still having to accomplish the same amount of workload um throughout that day, like they're not, they're not getting more sleep, they're not getting a better quality of sleep, you know, Um they can eat throughout the day to help the recovery process. Um They can hydrate throughout the day to help the recovery process. If they working out, you know, if they work out in the morning, like, you know, I don't do a 6am workout, because I think it's we're tougher, because we're up earlier, like, I don't care about that. Like, it's the most appropriate and convenient time of the day for a lot of kids you know there's 40 guys in here in the morning you know working out before they go to school because it's, that's yeah i mean
0: it's, that, it's what we talked about before it's just you know there's only 24 hours in the day There's there's only so much you right can do with that and i think that's part of the reason why sleep and there's there's so much science out there on sleep at this point like you can go find it anywhere and it's it's all pretty consistent just in terms of like the importance of sleep you know, on not just for brain health, but you know, the functioning of the body and you know, all kinds of different things. And I think that's mm-hmm. that tends to go by the wayside when you prioritize everything else, but so, um, yeah, sleep important. Glad you're telling those guys, uh, you know, seven and a half to nine, um, and stay on them about it because obviously I think where you're at is, you know, probably as, um, You know, when it comes to training for whatever sport, you know, in in this case, baseball, there's so many different people pulling them in so many different directions. And, you know, a a lot of their time over the course of 24 hours is probably chewed up sitting in a car, sitting in traffic. So, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of transition time, we'll call it, you know, where they're trying to do 30 minutes of homework in the, you know, in the car you know, on the way to, you know, to come see me or to go to their hitting lesson or, you know, if they have a high school game, you know, you know, in the, in the wintertime, you know, the, 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 there's fall leagues and winter leagues and stuff out here. Um, you know, these kids have to get, they have to be creative um, to be able to, to take the care of themselves that they need to. So, um, so yeah, the, the naps and the, the sleep are ridiculously important, um, you know, for for these kids. So um, I, I have no, no intent of taking my foot off the gas on the importance of, of how all that stuff is for them.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's kind of transition, you know, to talk about exactly what you do. I think it's important to bring to light kind of the importance of sports specific training and, and we're gonna get into that here. Um, but let's, you know, start, you know, you oversee the strength programming for Huntington Beach High School, Modern Day in Santa Ana, uh, J Sarah Catholic and San Juan Capistrano, three historic high school programs in Southern California that continue to move handfuls of players to division one and professional baseball year over year. In the off season, you're also dealing with pro guys. Talk about how you approach training high school athletes versus the pro guys and kind of what are the challenges you deal with in each group and then kind of what do you enjoy most?
1: Oh the, the most blanket answer I can give for that is like treat every athlete the same. Everybody has the same prerequisites of movements in baseball. Hitting, pitching, like everything is rotational. Everything is overhead rotational. Everything starts from the ground up, um, regardless of position, regardless of you know an athlete's ability. They all need to be trained with the same formula. Now, there's a lot of variables of you know potential injury risk you know, uh, injuries that a guy's coming off of and this and that, and those variables need to be accounted for as well. Um, but from a philosophical standpoint, everybody here is training full body three dimensionally on a daily basis. Um, you know, with, with high school kids, there's, You know, it it becomes more of a, I hate saying like therapy session, but I'm doing more like managing emotions and, you know, um, showing them that it's okay to come in the gym and fail and not be good at something. Um, you know, guys come in here and, you know, I, again, I don't care if they are a potential first round draft pick or if they're just trying to make the, you know, the feeder team in eighth grade to get into the high school, you know, like doesn't matter to me. Like everybody, everybody has a goal. Everybody is coming from some kind of background. Um, you know, some guys are coming from other, other facilities, um, you know, and they're looking to, you know, to, to have a different approach and change some things up. Um, or some guys have never trained before, you know, um, and there's no right or wrong reason for walking through the door, but when you walk through the door, like you're going to, you're going to fail. Um, and for a high school kid, that's hard for them to, that's hard for them to understand. Um, you know, and basically the way that I explain it to the kid and to the, to their families, frankly, is. If they come in here and the workouts are easy, then they're in the wrong place. This is not this is not the facility for you. Like I don't need I don't need another jersey on the wall. I'm not looking to be a gajillionaire. Like this isn't a money grab. Like it is a specific training system for a person who is specifically wired to be able to adapt to that training system. So failure comes with anything new, you know, I've failed or, you know, I've, I've failed a lot, you know, um, you know, building, building this business. Um, I have, I look back sometimes and go, oh my God, Mike, I'm sorry that I made you do, you know, I made you do these scat pushups in this certain, you know, in this certain, in this certain way. And, you know, I, I, I you know, we all learn and we all grow and we all become better for it. Um, but initially, you know, you have to get past your own ego, um, to be able to, to be vulnerable enough to come to a place where you can fail in a safe environment. And we're going to talk about why you failed. And we're going to talk about the progressions that are going to get you to where you need to go. And chances are, even when you're on the right progression to, to, you know, make that, Make that thing that you failed with, you know, a uh, uh, you know, a non-liability for you, whether it's in the weight room or on the field, you're going to fail again. And you need to be okay with that. And you need to be able to, to take that as a challenge and not, not compare yourself with the guy next to you who maybe is really good at the thing that you're failing at. Because the next day, there's going to be a work in, in the workout, there's going to be something that. You're really good at that. He's failing, and he's going to be experiencing the same emotions that you were feeling the other day when you were watching him do something that you know you were failing at. So, I feel like you know, I feel like a therapist a lot, and managing managing psyches with pro guys. It's a lot different. Um, pro guys kind of have a good, you know, they have a good idea of body awareness and, you know, they know the things that they're, they know the things that they're good at. They know the things that they need to improve on. Uh, You know, they're, it's their job at that point. Right. And so it's, it's more of a, a a workman's, a workman's mentality where, you know, they're clocking in and they know, you know, they know that they're going to get some stuff thrown their way and they're going to chip away at it. And, you know they ask you know they ask their questions when they're when they're confused on something but they don't feel like they they're not like overwhelmed with information and they're not overwhelmed with um you know the failure side of certain movements because they 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 understand that if you fail 3 out of 10 times in baseball and you're a, you know you're you're Albert Pujols you're going to the hall of fame right like you're okay with that high school kids are still they're they're trying to climb all these rungs to this ladder that, you know, they feel like, you know, is so unattainable and they're living and dying, you know, on a daily basis and they can't manage those emotions and say, Hey, like, you know, I got, I got my cheeks clapped today in this workout, you know, like back at it tomorrow, you know, like they don't, they don't have that. They're like, Oh man, like I'm not very good at this. And then the next time some, you know, one of those movements comes up in their workout, like they kind of, they try to they try to skip around it or they shy away from it. And you have to you have to you again, you have to provide that environment where it's okay. It's okay to fail. I'm not judging you. The guys in here aren't judging you. Nobody is judging you because there is something in every single workout that guys are gonna fail on, no matter how good of an athlete they are. Or where they got drafted, or how much money they're getting paid this year to play on TV. Like, it doesn't, it's irrelevant. So, everybody in here is on on an equal and level playing field. Everybody. Um, It becomes more about psychological management than it does um, about, you know, different training protocols for different types of athletes. Because everybody in here, Again, needs to be able to move athletically, three dimensionally in their own space um, before we start fine tuning. You know the the specifics of um, you know of each position, or you know if if a guy needs to add weight or lose weight or whatever. Um, great, you know we're gonna we're gonna help them. Ac- we're gonna help them accomplish that. But the foundational principle is they need to be able to move three dimensionally athletically in space.
0: Sure. Um, I, I kind of want to cross over into another area here. That's, um, a a separate group of athletes that you work with that are also high school athletes, which also happen to be really high profile high school athletes. So probably a, a pretty difficult group of athletes to work with the Evo shield Canes national team. Um, you work with them during the summer. This is a role you have to approach entirely different because the high schools that you work with can come into your gym. You see those kids every day. You can go see them at school. The Evo shield canes. Those guys are all over the map. How do you get the most out of a guy with remote training and how do they get the most out of your program when they're not coming in and seeing you in your gym?
1: So, We'll start it with this. I have always been a guy that like I despise travel ball. I hate it. I hate that kids are on the road. You know, uh, if if summer's ninety days, a kid should be at home. You know, sixty of those days, right? Maybe a little bit more. And unfortunately, it's the reverse. So high profile or not high profile. Like, you know, these guys are on planes. They're on buses they're I mean, it's a very minor league, you know, kind of, kind of grind, um, during the summer for these guys. Um, and it's not just like a specific travel team, you know, like we play three tournaments a summer. Um, so for a total of maybe we'll call it 20 days that we're together during the summer, but then you throw in, you know, You have PDP, which is somewhere between, you know, one year it was, you know, almost a whole month, you know, um, and that's a month that they're away from their privatized, you know, their privatized coaches, their families, their friends, their safety blanket, their food, their, you know, the stuff that makes them who they are as an athlete. Um, you know, then you have, you know, the, you have area codes and you have, Um, some of these other, you know, higher profile select events, which again, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. Like area codes is an amazing event. Um, It's I'm just simply saying that it's another week for, you know, a kid from New Jersey to hop on a plane and be somewhere, you know, be somewhere, you know, that he's unfamiliar with and have to navigate that. And every year I see guys that, you know, they come into the summer and they're, you know, they're 94 and 95 and they're supposed to be a top 20 pick. And then you watch them throw at area codes and they're 88, 90, and they're like laboring through the inning, you know, um, and all because they couldn't say no to something or because they didn't have the resource that, you know, um, I'm able to provide for, for our Canes national team where, I'm training them on the road. And, you know, if you're a pitcher, right, we carry 18 pitchers with us. So nobody is throwing, like, nobody is going to throw a complete game. You know, every, every tournament we go to, I cringe because some kid from, you know, some other team somewhere is, you know, he throws 105 pitches against us. And then, you know, you see him a day or two later and he's playing center field or he's playing shortstop or one kid was catching one time, you know, and that is exactly what I don't want to have happen to any of the athletes to come in here. I don't want that. It's not it's completely unacceptable to me um, that that that's even a thought process for a coach that he thinks it's a good idea. Um, you get these kids and they've thrown, you know, 60 to, you know, in some cases, 90 innings for their high school team during the springtime, um, depending on how deep. I know, like, you know, I know in, like, North Carolina, they have, you know, they have state playoff system and stuff out there. Uh, so sometimes, um, you know, we've had kids from, from the state of North Carolina that, you know, couldn't be at the first tournament or two because they were still in playoffs. Um, which, you know, for me, it's kind of nuts cause we end our season out here is kind of like, you know, the last, the last third of, uh, of May. Um, so, you know, there's a little two, three week, you know, gap, um, before, before they go into summer ball. Um, you know, the, the downside of that is, is that they play all year round. Um So guys aren't very good about taking breaks. So the weather out on the East coast forces, forces guys to take breaks, which I think is is great. Um, But I wish was more, wish would happen more um, in other States to, to kind of force, you know, maybe we can play baseball eight months out of the year. And then, you know, we can take four months of non-organized, you know, non-organized, you know, uh, participation uh, would be nice to give some guys a break and force that and stuff. But, um, you know, the kids from Canes, you know, they come from, they do, they come from all over the place. And so there's a handful of kids every year that, you know, are from the West coast or from California. And, you know, specifically, you know, two years ago, you know, I think I had like seven, eight guys, maybe, uh I think it was eight guys that, you know, I trained here in the facility, um, you know, on a, on a regular, you know, on a regular basis, um, they were on the team. So that made, I mean, that made that year, you know, pretty easy. Um, but that was kind of an anomaly. So the guys around the country, um, you know, I have a handful of them that, um, you know, I send workouts remotely, um, on an app that I had, um, developed, Um, so I can film everything and then type everything up and, um, you know, the cues and everything scripted for them to do. And it just goes right to their phone. Um, you know, every couple of weeks they get a new program. Um, so that's been, that's been great. Um, but for the guys that like, I've never met, um, you know, a lot of them are coming from smaller towns or, you know, smaller States where it's. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, not a lot of resources. um, And they've never had, you know, um, they kind of just do what the high school program says, which, you know, most high school programs are the football, you know, the football coach or the football lifting guy is having the baseball players, you know, follow a very football-based, you know, Olympic type, you know, type program. Um, There's very minimal, you know, arm care and, mobility, you know, work, you know, happening. Um, there's probably no, no tissue work, uh, uh, you know, going on and probably not a lot of talk about nutrition and sleep and hydration. So being able to go to practice every day, uh, we practice every, every morning before our games, um, you know, we take BP, I spend, um, you know, the first hour with all of the pitchers, Um, uh, you know, we go through a team stretch and then I take the pitchers and then based on the rotation that we have laid out, um, you know, we go through, we go through a throwing, you know, we go through a throwing program. Um, we go through pre-throw arm care, we go through post-throw arm care. Um, and if, you know, a guy needs to, you know, if he's going to throw an inning and then we're going to have him, you know, come back three or four days later, to throw two or three, you know, in the first round of the playoffs or whatever. Um, you know, I make sure that they have two two workouts that are structured for them. Um, whether it be, you know, we can do, um, you know, some stuff on the field or, um, you know, thankfully we stay at the same kind of circle of hotels every um, in every state that we go to for the tournaments. So um, I know that they have, um, you know, they have a very quality um, gym set up, so I'm able to give the guys their um, their workouts to do to do there. So we send them home more educated and better physically than they came. Um, and that's you know there's some guys that you know um, they, they do go to places and they do um, you know they do train at you know other baseball facilities um, or just with a trainer. Um, and I make sure that, you know, I'm very, very, uh, politically correct when I'm not like, you know, if I'm teaching them something new, it's not me trying to, to tell them or steer them that like their guy is not doing it right, or he should have known this, or that's not what it's about. Like, it's like, these are the beliefs that I have. These are the things that, you know, I have seen success over the years with. And, you know, I just want to, I want them to be able to have access to it and then be able to implement it as they see fit when I'm not around. But when I'm around, there is a structure and we're going to do, we're going to do the things that I need us to be doing. um, So that way I know that I've done my job. So, um, so yeah, long, long answer there um very long answer i know but essentially it's you know i want i wanted to instead of complaining about you know guys coming home you know after being gone for like there's a travel program out here that i'll leave nameless they were on the road 38 days in a row last year like in a row um they were just going from college to college doing stuff and you know, the track record, you know, there's a lot of kids that come in here that have a lot of different residual effects after after, after doing something like that. Um, a lot of arm problems. A lot of guys that are down 10, 12 pounds. Uh, you know, low back issues. I mean, it's just, it's not, you know, kids, kids in high school aren't ready for that yet. They're not ready for... 38 days in a row on the road. I mean, I don't know any adults that are ready for that. um, To be honest with you, I mean, 10 days in Atlanta. And I mean, like, I I feel like I was gone for a month, you know, Um, no offense to the, the city of Atlanta, but I mean, you just get off of your routine and you know, your environment's different, your sleep's different. And these are all things that aren't accounted for. Everyone's just thinking about winning baseball games, but the little intangibles that you need to be taking care of off the field are the things that are going to allow you to perform well on the field. So yeah, long winded answer there, but
0: dynamics to your job and what you do, depending on the athlete that you work with. It's something that a lot of people don't really think about, you know, if people that know you on Twitter, they're not thinking about how your approaches have to change depending on, whether you're working with the local high school kids who you work with 12 months out of the year on site, or, you know, the high school kids you work with just in the summer on the road and then remote programming. And then the pro guys that just come in in the off season it's there's a lot of different things going on in your world. Um, and definitely about to throw another thing in here uh, for you to talk about. Cause I think you have a really unique look and a very broad look at the entire amateur baseball space. Um, so let's, let's kind of hop in on this one, you know, for the parents and athletes out there that don't know, and that is probably the majority of them talk about the difference between a generic strength and conditioning program, and then kind of what you program for your athletes. I think a lot of people would be quick to say, well, my kid, or I'm getting stronger by doing this, uh, which may be true, but kind of talk about, you know, how you train overhead rotational athlete and why that's different.
1: So, I mean, as I touched on a little bit in the previous question, I think, you know, has kind of evolved from this like football based mentality. Um, You know, when I was in high school, I mean, I did every football lift there was, you know, bench, uh, you know, bench, squat, clean, hang clean, um, you know, deadlift, uh, you know, we were doing military press, cleaning jerks, like all of this stuff, because the philosophy is you got to be bigger, faster, stronger, or in the mid 2000s, it was mass equals gas. Right. And that's, I, I mean, I would like to think that we've evolved enough in social media has maybe helped us enough, um, you know, that we can realize that mass does not equal gas, you know. Tim, Tim Lincecum, you know, probably weighed as much as I did, you know, when I was in, you know, my sophomore year of high school, you know, and I mean, that dude was throwing, you know, he's 96, 98 miles an hour, you know, uh, you know, for a good six, seven year period, you know, whatever. Um, and he did it with, you know, being able to, pull ground force and load rotationally to be able to unload linearly and to be able to um, to be able to have you know mechanics that allowed a smooth power transfer from the ground all the way out through the fingertips um, you know creating an extension and you know um, that had nothing to do with how much he could deadlift and how much he could squat or none of that stuff mattered. Um, and I think, you know, philosophically, you know, we've gotten to this point where, you know, um, you know, things that look cool on, you know, on social media, um, you know, people think like that's, that's the way that we're supposed to train because it looks hard or it looks like this guy's deadlifting 500 pounds. So, you know, he must throw, he must throw a hundred miles an hour. And that stuff's not the case. I mean, for, for all the power that, you know, you can produce, well, you better be able to decelerate that power and you better be able to direct it and transfer it up the chain and decelerate it efficiently out the arm. Otherwise you're going to end up, you know, you're going to end up with a zipper on your elbow or your shoulder. You know, like it's, Baseball is a violent, violent, violent sport. Um, you know, throwing throwing an object, you know, overhead, and then releasing that object overhead like you do with a baseball. I mean, it, it is the most traumatic thing that you can do to a body part in any sport. Um, and you got to do that a hundred times a game. You know, if you're a if you're a big leaguer, essentially, you know, eighty to hundred times a game, and then recover from that, and then you know repeat that you know five days later like that's you know baseball players get a bad rap like oh you just throw a ball like all right you know mr football coach who thinks you know like you know i should be dead 500 pounds like go a 100 pitches and let me know how your arm feels right like go through 100 pitches and then come in the next day and then i want you to hit some heavy bench press and let me know how that feels And then let me know how you feel, you know, two days out after that, when, you know, your rotator cuff is on fire, um, you know, and you probably have some flexor soreness and, you know, like you can't, you're not, you're not the best version of yourself going into that workout, which is why, you know, I have, you know, adopted the, the philosophy of, you know, every workout in here is full body. We don't do, we don't do upper lower splits, like. You know, there's days where your legs are going to be more sore than, you know, than normal. Right. But that's not because we did seven different, you know, lower half movements. You know, we will, we will, we will deadlift and, you know, sometimes we'll deadlift and we'll squat in the same workout that like that's, that's happened. Um, you know, so naturally you're going to be, you're going to be a little fatigued and a little tired, um, you know after that but the intent is not to take your legs away from you for you know the next two or three days um and crush you like you need your legs every single day when you throw right like your first and last point of contact with the ground is your feet right you need everything you know everything above the feet to be working efficiently for your arm to do what it needs to do efficiently right so that is a direct correlation to what you're doing in the gym. So, um, you know, the, the whole, you know, the whole Olympic lifting style of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't offer, it doesn't offer a lot of, uh, you know, bang for the buck when it comes to baseball, you know, it's power in the wrong plane of motion, um, which, you know, is, unutilized power um, for a rotational athlete when everything that you're doing is just in the sagittal plane Um, that, that doesn't, that doesn't hold, that doesn't hold water for me. So because I think that way, and because, you know, people see me, you know, posting, posting, you know, everybody's barefoot in the gym. Right. And you know, guys are, guys are bear crawling and you know, like I intentionally don't post videos on social media of guys lifting I intentionally don't do it like posting the, you know, posting the guy, you know, you know, deadlifting a ton of weight or, you know, hip thrusting, you know, 700 pounds or like cool. I mean, again, like that's good for likes, right. But like a kid in Wisconsin who is following me and, you know, is struggling with his thoracic mobility, right. I'm not doing him any service whatsoever by posting something that you know he can he could figure out himself that you know hey hip thrusting is good for you like let's you know like here you know here's a guy hip thrusting he doesn't need to see me that he needs to see he needs to see you know a a you know a a, a key spine matrixy that covers all three planes of motion that is going to help him you know minimize that weakness that he has So it becomes, so hopefully someday, you know, someday if he keeps chipping away at it can become a strength and he's better for it. Um, so, you know, the, the perception is, you know, like all we do is mobility and, um, you know, we don't ever lift. And quite frankly, and I think you could back me up on this, you know, um, every, every year, the strongest guy is tested. Back when you were at USA Baseball, and now that you're with Loden, are coming out of this gym. You have Nick Prado, you have Corbin Carroll, you have Matt McClain, you have Nick Dumasol, Like, you know, I I mean, I, I just. Yeah. Cody Schreier. You know, Cody Schreier. I mean, you know, like, I, you know, I pride myself in the fact that these guys not just their athleticism, but the fact that they are healthy. They're healthy and they don't lose this athleticism. They're continuing to evolve, which which in turn tells me that I'm continuing to evolve and I'm not getting complacent and I'm not stagnant and I'm not just, I read this in a book once, so this has to be the truth. You know, like I definitely pride myself on continuing to try to to push the envelope on, you know, on on human movement. Um, I mean,
0: I think one thing that all those guys have in common that you mentioned was not only you know were they strong, not only were they they good movers. Um, you know, obviously some of them more athletic than others, but all with a certain degree of athleticism that played on the baseball field in its own special way. But like their ability to sustain their performance, which is the that's the ultimate goal of you know, if you're going to get the pro ball, if you're going to play college baseball, it's like, it's great if you can do it for a month. Uh, But if you're not able to have the right things in place from, you know, recovery and lifting and uh, you know, we talked about sleep and nutrition and all these different routines. If you don't have all of that in place. And I think your part of it is, is huge, especially for those high school guys out there getting ready for the next level, building those routines is that those guys weren't, you know, crawling or sucking wind by August. And you see that everywhere with the kids that go through the meat grinder. That is the, you know, junior high school showcase summer, you know, you go through the showcase circuit, end of the summer, like a lot of those kids just need a pillow, you know? And yeah. a lot of the Cody Shriers of the world and the Nick Prados of the world, like they were just as good in August as they were in June, as they were, in march and in february when their high school season was getting going
1: yes and that's you know from from afar the behind the scenes look that you know i'm you know that that validates that validates the training program um you know there are guys that i have seen that you know have have been here for you know two three four years and then whether it's pro ball or whether you know they go to college um, you know, within the first, you know, six, eight weeks, like they're, they're on the shelf, you know, like they're, they're hurt. And I, I mean, I hate, I hate seeing it. Um, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me. That's a hard pill for me to swallow when, you know, like when you see a kid and they've done something for so long. Right. And they've been able to, you know, um, you know, and again, I'm going to preface this with like, I am a very small piece of this pie, right? These, these kids are, you know, what Nick Prado has accomplished and is going to continue to accomplish is Nick Prado, right? Like I've been behind the scenes and, you know, helped and stuff, but like, he's got to hit the ball. He's got to throw the ball. He's got to walk through the door and show up and do the work and to his credit, he does it all and he does it all relentlessly. Right. But there are kids that, you know, like they, you know, for whatever reason they switch things up and then, you know, you watch the, like, it's almost like a slow train wreck. Right. You see, you know, like early in the season, you know, they're, you know, like they're not moving well. And, you know, they got to skip a start because the shoulder's not right, you know, and then it manifests into something bigger. Um, and then they're out for a year or, you know, they had a surgery or, you know, they get cut from the program and stuff. And that's the, that's the pitfall to this job, right? You have the really big highs and then you have the really low lows when really like, I just want everybody to live in the middle. You know, like if you're, even if you're not in here training, right. You know, um, you know, I have, I've had guys that, you know, move away or, you know, or, you know, think that they're like, Hey, well, I'm going to go train with this guy now, or go do this. Um, you know, I, I, you know, have to sit back and like, let it take its course, you know, and like, just hope, you know, like I'm hoping it's not, you know, anything that is so detrimental that they can't come back from, you know, but like, it's a tough, it's a tough one to swallow. um, Where, where, you know, that, you know, they're, they did something and worked so hard to become the athlete that they are, that, you know, a team wanted to pay them, you know, to come play for them, or, you know, they accepted a scholarship to a certain school you know, because of, you know, they had a, you know, they hit a certain way, they pitch a certain way, they trained a certain way. And the culmination of that, you know, gave them this opportunity. And then all of those tools for whatever reason get stripped away. And then, you know, the athlete isn't performing at that level anymore. Um, That's, that's a hard one. That's a hard one for me to swallow. Um, So, and I don't necessarily know what that answer is um you know but trying to educate these kids um and frankly you know some of the some of the college and 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 pro teams and stuff that I work closely with like there's a huge open line of communication where you know they need to see, they need to see a kid you know they need to see an athlete you know they have to check certain boxes you know for you know to you know as they report to you know somebody higher up right like um but they don't necessarily care if it's you know if a guy if a guy needs to have a you know a a higher a higher power output day you know they're not dead set that like you know they have to deadlift and they have to squat and they have to like they're leaving it up to the athlete to choose you know they're giving him a box of movements and saying, Hey, choose, choose X, Y, you know, choose X, Y, or Z. But either way, I'm able to say, Hey, you know, like he, he, you know, he pushed some weight today or whatever. Um, But it gives the athlete a little bit of ownership and, you know, based on how he's feeling that day, you know, uh, you know, if he's a little little tight in the low back, then maybe, you know, maybe he hip thrusts um, instead of deadlift, you know, like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But those, those conversations are very few and far between. So the kid is kind of stuck choosing between, you know, what he's always done and then what his new coach or team or program or whatever, you know, like wants him to do. Um, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough spot for a kid. So, um, you know, we, we try in here we try trying here to do our best to, uh, you know, to, to bridge that gap. And, you know, uh, you know, have good relationships with with teams and with coaches and and stuff. So, you know, the kid kind of gets the best of all of us so he can ultimately be the best version of himself.
0: And that makes a ton of sense. Um, I will say this. We are I think we're going on about an hour and a half here. So let's uh, We'll probably have to do (laughs) another one of these uh, to cover. All the other things that, you know, I, I planned on talking about, but, um, we're going to do Josh Wright, volume one, Josh Wright, volume two. (laughs) Um, but now before, before we go, I do want to talk about some personal interests. Um, I know you're really into MMA. Uh, does that come through at all in the way you train your athletes and are there parallels there? Um, I'm sure it does, but I kind of want to hear it, you know, from you specifically.
1: Um... So yeah, as we previously talked about, like I boxed when I was a kid and then after I got hurt, um, I started training Muay Thai, um, and, uh, you know, did that and fought for 11 years, 12 years. Um, and then, you know, got married and the wife was like, I don't want our kids wondering why, you know, daddy's got a busted foot and yada, yada, yada. So I stopped. Um and then now I got back into um jujitsu. So I started training jujitsu um you know six six months ago. Um so I'm looking forward to starting to compete in in that now. Um but yeah, I mean it has helped shape how I am with the athletes. Like I'm tired every single day, right? Like you know I'm 38, I have three kids, um, you know, I, I try to get my seven hours of sleep, but you know it doesn't always happen sometimes. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know I run this business, um, I travel, um, you know I try to be a good a good father and a good husband, um, you know, and I, I, I do everything at hundred percent right? So when a kid walks in here, that's the standard. The standard is you need you need to be ready to work. You need to be ready to grow and to learn, right? And you need to be able to work with and teach the guys that are younger than you and next to you if you see them struggling with something and be selfless about that. Outside of that, man, like, you know, I just, you know, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of rules. I mean, like when you, the the culture in here has developed over, over the last, you know, six, seven years to where like, you know, if you are coming in here, like you already know what you're in store for, um, you know, between the training between, you know, you know, me, you know, me getting on you sometimes, um, you know, between, you know, uh, you know, my staff getting on you sometimes, you know, my staff is fantastic, but like they're, they're, you know, if I'm learning something, right. And I'm teaching it to them, I expect them to, you know, to ask questions when they don't understand it. And if they're not asking me questions and I'm assuming that they understand it. And so if I come in and see a kid not doing something, you know, properly or intelligently, Well, that's a direct correlation. You know, that's a, there's a, there's that chain of command that like, you know, the kid got it from the staff, right? And then the staff got it from me. So if mom and dad are, you know, not happy about something, well, it falls back on me. Um, So the discipline of the discipline of learning, the discipline of, uh, you know, showing up the discipline of teaching and, you know, making the people around me better. Um, and not just hoarding, you know, information and, um, you know, trying to, trying to make everything about me. Um, you know, that is, that is something that, you know, martial arts, um, has given me. Um, cause I wasn't always, you know, I wasn't always a a good guy or a nice guy. And I mean, some people probably still think I'm not a good guy or a nice guy, you know, like that's, that, that, that you can't please everybody. Right. But, you know, looking, looking back, you know, who I am at 38 versus who I was at, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28, it's, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know that person, um, you know, anymore. So, you know, the guys, the guys that come in here, you know, like they are, they are family and, you know they will be. They will always be treated as such. And my only requirement is that you know they they come in, they show up, they're ready to work, and then they're also they're also ready to help. They're ready to help the guy next to them um, be the best be the best version of themselves as well.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. Um, I am going to hit on one last bit here. And then I will let you go get on with your day. Um, You're a key piece of the work that we're doing with the three high schools out in Orange County. Um, After our evaluations, we're always asked by parents and players, like, how do we get better at this stuff? We've evaluated the entire programs at J. Sarah, Modern Day. We're on a regular schedule with Huntington Beach, obviously. I'm hoping to get deeper into the weeds on this in a future podcast. So maybe more on a high level, just the load and in sports information, how do you use that information? How does it help you for the guys who regularly come in?
1: So there are things that, you know, I program that, um, you know, I, I think are, you know, across the board, good movements and will, will help, um, you know, will help a kid with, x y or z you know there's a lot a lot of stuff gets missed by the naked eye um you know there are there are times where um you know i look at my programming and go like that could have been better um you know i'm missing you know i feel like maybe i missed this component or whatever the case may be and so when you guys come out and you guys test every every three months um You know, you guys and seeing the results that the kids are getting, um, you know, that holds me and my programming more accountable. That means I need to sit there and look at, you know, if I'm writing a new progression that's going to last three weeks, I need to look back at the previous six weeks and see, you know, how much, you know, lateral bounding we're doing, you know, for, you know, for a certain kid that maybe didn't score well on, uh, you know, on a single leg, on a single leg jump or, you know, how much, how much hip mobility work, um, you know, we're doing for a kid that, you know, doesn't have a very good broad jump. Um, it's, you know, when you guys come, it's instant feedback for me because I can see those results, you know, within, you know, within a couple hours that you guys do the test. So I take that stuff to heart, you know, instead of just going, oh, well, the, you know, the kid just doesn't move very well or, you know, he's kind of soft. Like, no, like, that's not the answer. The answer, you know, it starts with the program. Like, I need to be able to give them and provide them the best roadmap for their abilities to then be able to transfer that over to the test and then ultimately to the field, not pass the blame onto the kid and be like, well, it's his fault. Like, no. You know, so I have to, like, it holds me accountable, which for me, you know, like I know that the way that we train in here, like I'm training these kids, um, in a manner that they should test well, you know, they're not going to test perfect, but they should, they should test well. Um, because it's a three dimensional multi-directional training style. Um, instead of a grip it and rip it, you know, sagittal based, you know, Olympic style, you know, training system. Um, so it reinforces, it reinforces the good programs. Right. And then when I look and, you know, again, if I see a kid and his, um, you know, his power score went down two points, then, then, it then, it also, you know, I need to talk to that kid and make sure like he's eating and he's sleeping and he's hydrating and doing those behind the scenes things. But, you know, and if he tells me he is, then I'm going to believe him and take his word for it. Then I need to look directly in the mirror at the training that I'm giving him and say, okay, like what, what are we, what am I missing here that, you know, maybe we had, you know, a couple, couple progressions ago, um, you know, that I can give him so that way we can get this back up and maybe, you know, maybe improve it.
0: Yeah. I think that's what the, you know, having consistent touch points every three months, it it really allows you to, you know, dial in on specific guys. And like, if someone starts going a little bit off the tracks, like maybe that's something that they're doing in their sport specific training, or maybe it's, you know, a conversation you can have with them about their routines in regards to, you know, they're not sleeping enough or, you know, they're not eating the way they should be eating or in the, over the course of the summer, something that we saw from, June to September is like the guys who played more in the summer were the guys who saw a little bit of a pullback on you know their load and sports athletic evaluation. So right, um, yeah, there's so many different variables in it. The training's just one part of it. Um, I think something that we've always seen with the guys that you train regularly is those guys typically hold up regardless of the time of year. Um, but. You know, I think, you know, from your standpoint as a strength coach, being able to see that information, you know, it's, it's gotta be invaluable to be able to, you know, look at that every three months and kind of be like, all right, well, you know, these guys are doing great, you know, more of whatever they're doing. And, you know, these guys over here, let's, let's have a conversation with them. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like the data doesn't drive the training per se, it's really just opens up the door for a conversation.
1: Correct.
0: Correct. That's
1: that's what it's got to be. It's got to be a conversation, and it's got to be, you know, it's got to be, you know, you provide something that you know I can't do for these guys on a you know on a regular basis and stuff. So, um, you know, it's it's again, it's it's like-minded minds that are, you know, taking care of a certain slice of the pie for the athlete so they can be the best version of themselves and there's just not enough of that going on not enough it's that's my guy and my my way of doing it's the right way and the only way and yada 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 you know and the kid is the one who suffers in the end so you know i'm extremely thankful for you know for, for you and for Sean and our relationship. And, um, you know, the, you know, even if we weren't like-minded, you know, in, in the sense of our, our training philosophies, which thankfully we are, like you, you guys are all about the athlete and the athlete first. Um, and that again is, is rare. People say that they are, but they're not really. It's about, it's about them and, how they can benefit off of them and how you know how somehow a travel ball coach having a kid pitch for him you know when he's not doing the lessons he's not doing the strength and conditioning like he's providing a jersey and a field and a lineup for this kid to play in and they say that's my guy you know like that stuff is that stuff is just tired and it's old and it's weak and it needs to change so I'm glad that you're not a part of that epidemic Yeah.
0: The, uh, you gotta look at the athlete They're They're like a ship. All right. Go metaphorical here on the way out. They're like a ship. And there's a lot of people that, that are claimed to be part of the ship. If that makes sense. But really Mm -hmm. the job of coaches and trainers and everyone around the ship isn't to be part of the ship, but to be the tide that raises the ship. So I think, uh, you know, we both fit into that same bucket of we are the water and uh, we're working as hard as we can to push that boat up off the bottom of the floor and, and get that thing moving.
1: I don't think that I could have said that any better. So thank you for, thank you for articulating something that I never would have been able to articulate.
0: Got to, got to throw the uh, creative juices in there, especially at the end, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah buddy
0: oh, literary genius over here <laughs> all right josh always a treat thanks for taking the time coming on um i'm sure we'll have you back on soon like we've said multiple times looking to set something out with benji um so if we can get you and benji both on there uh i think that'd be pretty awesome um but yeah thanks
1: volume two whenever you're ready
0: yeah. For those listening in that want to learn more about what Josh does, give him a follow on Twitter and or Instagram at right fitness. That's R E I D T fitness, no spaces, all lowercase. He's always posting exercise demonstrations for your edification and to get you involved at home. We'll post the links in the description. If you see Leonidas from 300, you're in the right place. <laughs> for those of you who are serious about taking your sport-specific training to the next level, he has an iOS app for remote training. Search Right Fitness Systems in the App Store and start getting after it from anywhere. That will do it for this episode of the and Sports Outlier Sessions. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to continuing to bring you the brightest and most engaging guests from within the and Sports Network. Stay on top of what or who is coming next follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Loden Sports. Whether you enjoyed this episode on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, please like, comment, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next time.